Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 13. And uh, back by popular demand, we're going to be talking a little bit of Sounders, Seahawks, and Huskies today. And back by popular demand, we have Justin here, uh, his podcast, Over the Top EPL. Justin, how are you doing tonight? And what are you sipping on, sir? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me back. I've been itching to come back and talk some Seattle sports with you all. So I am sipping on an Elysian Super Fuzz, which is a blood orange pale. Very good beer. Very good beer. Well done. What about you guys? Sam, go ahead. Well, I'm sipping on some Pendleton blended Canadian whiskey. Mm, Well done. That's way faster than you usually are. Well, it's because I didn't buy it. Here's the story. There you go. So basically, like I said on the podcast before, I left my big old thing of Kirkland Signature Whiskey over at the lake. And I came home and I was pretty distraught about it. And my little sister came over with some welcome home gifts, one of which is Pendleton Whiskey. So she has nicer tastes than I do. So that's what I'm sipping on. Letter Buck, baby. Letter Buck. Very nice. Very nice. I myself, I'm sipping on some single malt scotch tonight. That Highland Queen Majesty whiskey that was treating me well last week. Still have about half the bottle left. So <laughs> going through it pretty quick, honestly, but it's good stuff. So, dude, you have to save some for the Husky game this weekend. That's what you drank in the second half. We need more of that. Good I mojo. Did. I did. I did. Well, plenty of Husky talk later in this episode. Well, let's start off with Sounders, and the result just happened tonight guys and i feel like we should be a lot more fired up about this because the sounders do get a one one nil victory over fc dallas in the western conference semifinals which means they're back in the western conference finals yet again brian schmetz are getting it done at the right time um but i know that we're a little bit underwhelmed by the performance and i know justin you are in particularly what were kind of your general overall takes from that game yeah you know i we have to step back. I mean, this is Brian Schmetzer. What is it? Fifth year, four and a half years in charge. He's made it to the Western Conference final four out of five times. Pretty impressive. So if you step back, take a step back and shine in the optimistic view, it's, it's a really fantastic achievement. But that being said, it was just a sloppy performance from both teams, really. Uh, but from the Sounders specifically, and we, it started in the first half especially how we approached the game in the beginning. I think there was just a little bit of hesitancy, which is not uncommon in like, if you've watched the World Cup or just like this one game, you know, loser goes home type of matches. People like to tentatively start games and feel out the opponent a little bit. And so I think there was a little bit of that going on. But in the second half, as, as you said, me being underwhelmed, We obviously started to turn that around a little bit more. We started to press a little higher. That's in soccer. That's called like the line of demarcation, like where you like that pressure first starts. And so we we stepped that up a little bit higher, which 
you know, creates pressure on the, on the Dallas defenders to be able to clear the ball more effectively. And so they were able to not do that well, little back passes to the goalie were a little more rushed or passes to the center of the pitch when you should go down the outside wings. And so we started to put pressure on them, which allowed us to get the ball in dangerous areas. They had Mm -hmm. to foul us free kicks into the box. And that's how we scored our one goal. Um, that was a lot of word to vomit onto you, Connor. No, uh, that's fine. I You're way more into this, you know, like the intricacies of soccer than I am just because of your expertise in, in the sport. So I appreciate that and you bringing that to the podcast because Sam and I definitely aren't bringing that. that what, what did you call that? The Sorry, the at the beginning there of, of your rambling line of demarcation Connor. line of demarcations i I, yeah sam you were doing some uh you were doing some sign language at me i feel like you were gonna say something but well yeah i could give a break similar breakdown so here we go basically the sounders put the ball in the fucking net one more time than the other team and we won and now we're into the uh conference finals so there you got there you have it let's talk husky football huh hold on (laughs) hold on hold on let's talk a little bit about this goal And I mean, I think it's just, you know, one of our leading scorers this year, obviously. And like one of the guys that we would have predicted to score this goal, Shane O'Neill center back. That's his first goal in a Sounders uniform. I'm almost positive. (laughs) You're not wrong. Connor. How many, how many goals has he had in his career in MLS? I know he's been kind of an MLS lifer. Mm, I don't know. I don't um, know the answer to that. But I mean, what what we saw there was classic terrible marking from Dallas, uh, just leaving a free header from the center of the box. This is the cardinal no-no. It's like um, it's like an engage eight almost in soccer in football, where you leave a bunch of wide receivers open, but all eight blitzers get picked up. And so what happens is you have free wide receivers running down the field. If trying to anal- do an analogy for your football audience, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just terrible. And so if the ball is anywhere remotely close to the guy that is unmarked, then Mm -hmm. you have a free header on goal. And so it's just up to you to put it in a place where the keeper can't reach it. Yeah. And for those listeners wondering, our main man here, Shane O'Neill has scored one goal in his entire career. Other than thousand. Yeah. 2014 with the Colorado Rapids. How about that? He's taken 25 career shots. So yeah, obvious, <laughs> obvious playoff goal. <laughs> but I mean, instantly a hero because he sends us to the Western Conference Final with that, with that goal. So, or, I mean, I think I'm some, reading some tweets right now just after the game. And are you familiar with Ryan Krasnew? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a pretty good tweet here. Um, and I think it kind of, it, it encompasses, I feel like, how we actually should be viewing and stepping back from this game and viewing this team, the Sounders. The Sounders cruise to a relatively comfortable win o- over LAFC with their biggest stars, then grinded out a professional 1-0 win over FC Dallas with an unsung hero stepping up and a shutout. That's a winning culture. So I feel like that that's well said just because... T- sometimes it's just not your night and like i feel like they're like the sounders are just kind of like a touch or two or a pass or two away from it being a really good night like they obviously had opportunities but there was a lot of sloppiness just like it didn't seem to really be clicking on all cylinders for them tonight 
but for them to stay with the game plan and still grind out that one nil win is a sign of a winning culture and that's what brian schmetzer's built here in seattle and obviously before that siggy schmidt but um brian schmetzer is obviously taking that to a new level and still doesn't have a contract so. <laughs> yeah yeah sure i mean we we're talking about that a few episodes ago and yeah it's just insane but going back to what you were saying about uh i forget the the gentleman's name but grinding out that ryan professional... new right 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 um grinding out those professional wins and i think you see that not just in soccer but in any sport right mm-hmm. can you win when you're when you don't play your best like mm-hmm. UW against utah as you guys uh, alluded to in your last episode mm-hmm. or the seahawks against the eagles which we'll get to uh in a few minutes and so it speaks a lot to the team and their mentality and will will the team play for the coach will they listen when they're you know the right. game plan is not going exactly uh to plan uh yeah i mean we definitely had shots and definitely more dangerous opportunities than dallas we had yep. players getting the ball in good places in the box but taking it with the off foot and most notably um with joven jones and uh, knew who kicking with the right foot. You saw a really good opportunity late with Kelvin Leardom, as you were alluding to pre-show Connor, mm-hmm. uh, where he blasted that over the bar. Mm-hmm. Dallas really one dangerous chance to note. They had some passes around the box that were a little dangerous, but one that came off the post and then it volleyed back God. into their player and right. <laughs> that was pretty scary. And cleared away and just like a little bit of like uh, playing was FIFA. That, was that Yamar that had that clearance off the yeah. reflected shot? Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a nice clearance. I mean, that was, was. that's tough. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier said than done. So he he was in the right place at the right time um, mm-hmm. after the first shot that hit the post and cleared it away. So, you know, it, I, I think he put it well, Ryan, that um, calling this a professional performance, yeah. it gets the job done. We're right. on to the next round. You get and, the result. And now we play a team that uh, either in Minnesota or Sporting Kansas City, that's that going to only have four days of rest when the Sounders are going to have six, which is pretty significant. So yeah. only have, especially when you have less than a week, but four days right. is half a week and not all your players are going to recover fully yeah. in that amount of time. Yeah, no, for sure. And I want you to talk a little bit more about that. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll phrase it in this way. So, I mean, who would you rather play between the two? Um, and I think, I mean, you have Sporting KC that was is the number one seed, obviously. And then is Minnesota the four seed? They're the four. Yeah, Correct. four seed. So uh, both both solid teams, though. Um, Sporting KC, I think, definitely poses more matchup problems for mm-hmm. the Sounders. And we've historically struggled against them, especially in the playoffs. But um, Minnesota is definitely a solid team as well. So I... I think either way, you're you're definitely going up a tough uh, up against a tougher opponent than FC Dallas. What you saw tonight, and you probably can't get away with the performance that you had tonight in the Western Conference Final. But what's the ideal result for you in in that other matchup, Justin, between Sporting KC and Minnesota? Yeah, great question. I think as you alluded to, both teams are better. As I was go- as we go went into the playoffs, I would have said both teams are better teams than Dallas is. Uh, just top to bottom really. And if I had to choose, I would probably say Minnesota because then it allows the Sounders to play on their home pitch at Lumen Field as we call it now. Yeah. Uh, we we don't have to travel. Uh, 
Minnesota, they're playing on the road in Kansas City, would have to travel back to Minnesota, practice, travel out to Seattle on four days of rest. That's not ideal by any stretch of it. And then we just match up a little better. Um, they're just not as deep of a team as Kansas City is, where they have real defenders that can uh, stifle attacks and dangerous mm. Um, dangerous attackers like Johnny Russell, who's given the Sounders all sorts of problems yeah, going back years. For sure. And so while I think we can beat Kansas City and I would slightly favor us, I think that would be more of a toss-up match, whereas Minnesota, mm -hmm. I would expect us to beat. Yeah. And I agree. And I th also want to bring up something that you brought up in kind of our off-mic time, but Obviously, the whole the whole four days rest thing is a is a pretty clear disadvantage for whoever comes out of that other semifinal. Mm -hmm. And what you're hope what you were hoping we talked about off off mic was that this game goes to extra time because absolutely. And obviously, in soccer, if you're going four days rest in a normal situation, you're typically rotating. But in playoffs, when it's single elimination, that's not going to be the case. So you're going to have tired legs no matter what, probably just off of four days rest, but especially if there's extra time. And I think there's some, there are some new um, uh, substitution rules, though, this year, right? Like they're allowing more substitutions. That's correct. Yeah, you're correct, Connor. So we get in the MLS uh, five substitutions in soccer around the world. Usually it's three. A lot of a lot of leagues have adopted the five rule. So, mm -hmm. um, so you get an extra two, which is huge. Uh, what you see in a lot of leagues around the world um, is a, a, a midweek competition. You have something called the Champions League. It's mostly associated with Europe because those are the biggest teams, but every continent has has one mm -hmm. and what's common is to play games on the weekend in your domestic league say that would be like the mls in this case mm -hmm. and then midweek like on a tuesday or wednesday you would play in the champions league and you rotate about three to four players usually because the, only the best teams play in this champions league yep. um like from saturday and sunday to what you play tuesday or wednesday you rotate players and then you play the next saturday so you have these midweek games so it's not uncommon in soccer but MLS is a unique league because of how far travel is. The United States obviously is a huge country relative to other, right. you know, when you travel from Liverpool to Manchester in England, it's like a train ride versus Minnesota to Seattle is a three and a half hour flight. Right. So there's a lot more to think about. And so that's why travel is a lot more taxing in this mm -hmm. league. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if they went 120 minutes to your point that you're making, that's just going to be, you know, further icing uh, on the cake, basically, icing right? on the cake for us. Right. And so you're just going to get a bunch of tired legs. They're probably going to have to make three to four changes from their original side that played either mm -hmm. Kansas city or Minnesota, whoever wins. Um, and then bring on the players that they want to start uh, that Player. were too tired to make it 90 minutes uh, as a sub, probably in the 60th minute because they couldn't right. give a full 90. So yeah, I think that would be the ideal scenario with Minnesota winning in PKs or in 120 minutes. Well said, well said. Kansas City did win in PKs going into this game uh, over San Jose. And so yeah. that would be their second. And San Jose was leading in that game for a bit too. Mm -hmm. So that was that was kind of a crazy match. Um, yeah, so I mean, let, let's say that the 
the I'll I'll do this just to kind of close out our Sounders our Sounders talk for for the evening. But let's say the the results go the way the way that we think they will, and Sporting Can- Kansas City is our next opponent. Um, what would be your prediction in that game if we're going to Sporting Can- Kansas City for the Western Conference Final? I would say the Sounders are going to win two to one. I think you're going to get a much better performance. I think you're going to have more intense performance from the Sounders. We're going to have that high line of altercation or demarcate, however you want to say it. Yep. Um, you're going to have us countering a lot more because against Dallas, we're the favorite team. They allow us to have the ball more than Kansas City will. Sure. And you're going to have Jordan Morris running behind, Raul Rui Diaz, Ladero picking more spaces than he did against Dallas, and I think we'll exploit them that way. Yeah. Well, you're ready here, folks. Justin Geiger is predicting another MLS Cup appearance for your Seattle Sounders, and I, I feel good about I would feel good about that prediction as well. They they just tend to get the job done in the playoffs, man. And it's been that been that way since Brian Schmetzer took over. We've been in the MLS Cup now three of the past four years. Is that correct? That's correct. All against Toronto. And that was yeah. my pick this year. But of course, they got upset in the first round. And so right. we're either going to be playing Columbus or uh, New England. Yeah, might see some old old uh, rivalry with Caleb Porter come up with Columbus. So we'll Or uh, Bruce Arena. Or Bruce Arena. So, I mean, obviously... Right. Obviously, both of those. Both Who of those famously uh, took over for Jurgen Klinsmann, as Sam knows very well, That's and right. did not lead the US MNT to the World Cup in 2018. Yeah, how do you feel about Bruce Arena, Sam? Uh, not too fondly. <laughs> do you feel better or worse about him than Jurgen Klinsmann? I don't feel good about either of them, to be honest. I think <laughs> I, I can't expect anything yes. better. I can't expect anything better from Bruce than what he's done for us in the past. Like, I don't imagine that he'll be any, like he was already kind of established in his career as a soccer coach mm-hmm. first time around. I don't think that he's had any quote unquote, like career growth between his first stint and now. So I don't really have any, lofty expectations but he did regularly take us and qualify so that's at least a step above Jürgen Klinsmann yeah I mean Jürgen oh. Klinsmann we did have some good moments we got to you know the round of 16 in the, in the 2014, 2014 World yeah. Cup where Tim Howard that was went a fun off. World Cup I think we were all at Sam's house watching that actually we were um, yeah that was a rough one <laughs> <laughs> so stressful uh Wando you forever live in our hearts um Oh Jesus! Well, here, here's the deal. What we should do is we should fire Bruce Arenas and we should call our hero from Texas, Clint Dempsey. Clinton, we need you. We need you at the helm. <laughs> well, so the coach right now of the USMNT is Greg Berhalter, who's the former uh, Columbus Crew coach, and he he's okay. But what he has is a wealth of young talent that we've never had before. It's true in American soccer from Captain America, Christian Pulisic, uh, to Weston McKinney, to Tyler Adams, uh, so many European, Serginio Dest. We have so right. many European playing players right now. Right. And I can't remember that ever as being. Yeah. It's always been an MLS dominant team. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So 
that's that's exciting and we'll definitely have plenty to talk about um with international soccer and in future podcasts hopefully kind of as as things go on and what do we have this next year i guess if uh, assuming covid isn't like a thing yeah i'm not next... sure what like the how delayed it is but usually Are you gonna do like, like a gold this... cup maybe next year yeah so there's something called the gold cup uh i don't know if teams will send their starting team as you know because there's yeah. this like the fixture congestion i doubt mexico sure. will send its first team or costa rica yeah uh there will be world cup qualifying matches though so there you go yeah that's, so that's probably the biggest the, thing out of the 2021 thing. uh then there's like a european called the euro competition mm-hmm. olympics right. next year right uh that have soccer as well so but i would say world cup qualifying is going to be the biggest thing for us right on well, bringing this back to Sounders and just specifically this match tonight, real quick, I do want to touch on that. Um, one of the one of the things that we didn't really talk about yet is clean sheet, and I feel like those have been pretty hard to come by recently. And Steph Stephen Fry's had some pretty awful luck, I feel like, and especially towards the end of the season, like the regular season, he was having some really bad luck trying to keep like playing really well and playing well enough that we should be getting a clean sheet. And it just wasn't happening, whether it was an own goal. Shane O'Neill has scored an own goal for us. Yes. <laughs> so, um, fortunately, he put it in the right net tonight. Um, but he's just had some bad luck, so it was good to see us, which, I mean, I think we should, we should expect that kind of performance from this defense against a team like FC Dallas. Like, albeit, like, I mean, they can be dangerous, but we're clearly the better team, and... It was nice to see them just take care of business. Like we've said, professional win. Sure. I mean, you can never overlook clean sheets in soccer. It's really hard to do, mm. uh, especially like, I mean, it was so close to not being one, right? right. Off the post. Off the and, post and then deflection. Yeah. So it's how, it's how, uh, it's not quite a game of inches, but it's, uh, you know, anything can happen at any time. So celebrating clean sheets is super important. So great call out. Yeah. So just wanted to, wanted to mention that before we, we transition here but obviously big win for the sounders uh they will play in the western conference final next monday so the seventh right but justin mm-hmm. that was the that was the night so we'll we'll see who our opponent is on thursday but um i think both of us or all three of us including you sam sam yeah what, what about it yeah we're all expecting it to be sporting kansas city but We'll see what no happens idea. on Thursday. We're going to have an opponent. We're going to beat them. We're going to win the MLS Cup. We're going to have this big parade that probably be awesome. won't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's so. it'll be a parade like within houses. They'll probably do like a virtual parade. It'll be weird. Uh, it'll be fun to see. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever it is, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to celebrate another MLS Cup and defend our title from last year. All right, guys, let's transition to some Seahawks talk here. And Seahawks coming off of a big Monday night football win last night against the Eagles, a floundering Eagles team, to put it lightly, I would say. But um, I'll, I'll pose this question to you, Sam, since you didn't get to talk a lot on the Sounders stuff, but just kind of what were your general takeaways from that game against Philly? And, you know, I mean, biggest news of the night, biggest news of the week, I guess, is that we're back in first place in the nfc west with the the rams lost this last week against the niners so eight and three seahawks are atop the nfc west again but 
yeah, what, what were your, what were your takeaways from this win uh, in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think obviously a win in a win is a win here. Definitely happy. It's a road game. We haven't played very well on the road, so I'm happy to see us get the victory there. But like you said, Philly is not really a formidable opponent and we expected to win. Honestly, I expected to feel better about sure. how we played and I thought that we would have played a cleaner game offensively for sure. But I think yeah. maybe you tip your cap to Philly's defense. They're on the field a lot and they still seem to play relatively well. But my main takeaway has kind of been the same, you know, in this middle section of the season in all of the games we've had is we're becoming too one dimensional. And I know this has been uh, thrown around as a, as a concern rooting back to beginning of the season in terms of just relying heavily on Russell Wilson and the passing offense. But I would argue we've even become one more one dimensional than that because at least in the beginning of the season, we were spreading the ball around. You had Tyler Lockett had, you know, in, uh, left his mark on the game, game in game out. And he's kind of seemed to disappear into the shadows a bit. And it's really become the Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf show, which is awesome and fun to watch. But when you play an all around solid team, particularly come playoff time, unless we get some other guys to step up offensively and hopefully Chris Carson continues to kind of ramp back up into his role. He got his feet wet after a couple of weeks off with injury. So it was good yep. to see him back there. He played well. Promising different dimension to our offense with him mm. on the field. But I think if, if we're going to rely on the Russell to DK connection, I think we'll continue winning games down the stretch, make the playoffs, but it's not going to be a Super Bowl recipe. And I think at this point with the team that we have, I think we should be thinking Super Bowl Yeah, with the talent that I we agree. have. And so I, I think offensively, I'm a little bit, nervous and hesitant that we're becoming too dependent on those two players in particular. I think defensively we played really well, probably the best defensive game that I've seen us play this year. Mm -hmm. Again, heavy caveat, Philly's offense is in a world of hurt right now. Yeah. So take that with a grain of salt, but I think Jamal Adams looked active. Carlos Dunlap really has really made a huge difference on this team in terms of pass rush and you know, Shaquille Griffin coming back, I think has been a big help as well. For sure. Dare I say it, when we get Quentin Dunbar back fully healthy, maybe he'll make a difference. I know we all were if slamming on healthy. him. We're slamming on him. I can't remember exactly which game that was. Was that? It was against, after the Bills. Yeah, the Bills game. But I think he was. It was the totally... Bills game. Did he play in the Rams game? I don't think so. I don't think I can't so. remember which which game he went out, but whatever his last game was that he played, it was bad. Yeah, and I think again, I think he was hurt pretty badly. So I yeah. don't want to. It's hard to get the bad taste out of my mouth from that terrible performance. But I think if he's back healthy, the defense seems to be at least turning into a middle of the league defense potentially mm -hmm. with, with some of these guys coming back. So. We'll see. I think overall, again, we're going to be a good solid playoff team. I think if we control our own destiny with the NFC West, hopefully we can secure 
a high seed in the conference. I don't know the one seed is still up for grabs. I imagine it probably is. Yeah, it is. I, we need the Saints to lose, but um, with Drew Brees' injury, I think that's very possible that they could they could drop a couple games. So we'll see. Yeah. So that's my high level takeaway. I'd like to see our offense become a little bit more multifaceted down the down the home stretch here and. Mm-hmm have our defense continue on this upward trajectory. And I think we'll be in a good spot come playoff. Yeah. And I mean, Pete's always preached balance, right. As far as offense. And I think obviously you saw a very pass heavy offense earlier in the season. And that had a lot to do with the fact that the defense was so in shambles that that's how we had to win kind of early in the season. Um, But obviously Pete's, Pete's driving force has always been play good defense and run the ball. And so while you want to showcase your MVP candidate in Russell Wilson and get the ball in his hands and let him make plays, you also have to rely upon the recipe that has worked for you in the past. So I think it's going to be a balancing act here. And I think Pete Carroll's done I think he's he's been too heavily criticized. I feel like he's done a pretty solid job this year. And it's been a it's been a weird year. Albeit with COVID and everything, they've obviously handled that to a T. Like they haven't had one COVID case on their team. So I mean that's kind of just obviously a a side thing aside from the football field, but obviously a, a thing that's very real in the 2020 season is handling that. Um but let's talk a little bit about this rushing game. So you had Chris Carson back after Carlos had a pretty decent week last week, way back on Thursday night football of the previous week. And Carlos Hyde had a really good game in that, in that matchup against Arizona, but he only amounted 22 yards on 15 carries in this game. And he just didn't look very explosive in this game and i don't i mean i don't think the offensive line played particularly well but i mean there's a there's an obvious step up or step back i guess between chris carson and carlos hyde so i think chris carson's health is like about the most important thing on this seahawks offense going forward and especially when it comes playoff time i don't know how you feel about that justin yeah, I, I think that the right side of our line was not particularly good last night. Uh, and Brennan Shelford, obviously. So we had right, a- and so that's that's who I'm picking on specifically. Our right tackle, Abwehi. Yep. I might Abwehi. be Cedric Bo- Abwehi. Yep. Um, but he had the lowest PFF score mm-hmm. of any. It's like thirty something. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Something. It was bad. I think one of the few players that had a worse score last night was Darius Slay. Um, <laughs> but we should we'll talk more about dk in a second but yeah go ahead but it it was it was poor and you know we saw a little more balance uh yesterday as far as like rush if you look at rushing attempts versus passing attempts it Mm -hmm. just wasn't all that successful outside of that chris carson bulldozing manhood run run. 76 Uh, yards rushing though yeah you're right so you know you can argue was that successful or not I, i would argue not Mm-hmm. We found ourselves in a lot of third and longs. Our average third down to go was 9.6 yards, the second mm-hmm. longest of the of the season. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you have 
third and longs, you don't convert. And so when you start to do more run, run, pass, which is if you look at like the analytics nerds, they call them, yep. they tell you that's the the secret formula for death in yeah. football games. <laughs> uh, you saw that in, a little bit against Minnesota earlier in the season where we converted no third down. Uh, we had no third down conversions and somehow won that game. Uh, in this game, this is the second worst performance of the season as far as third down conversions, and we still mm-hmm. won. So that's a testament to the maybe to the Eagles' offense and our defense a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was definitely one dimensional. Uh, we tried to run the ball. The D, their D line stuffed it all day long, which made us sort of DK. Uh, you could argue, should we have spread the ball around a little more? I think there were, if you go back and watch all 22, there were opportunities to do so. Sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, we stuck with the run and they had to honor it, which gave us man to man with DK. So, yeah. Uh, and it worked out. I mean, and the final score wasn't really indicative. I feel like of, right. Of the style of game that it was, I think the Seahawks were pretty comfortably in the lead for most of the game. And um, even, even if it was a one score game, I felt pretty comfortable just because of how the way that, that the defense was playing. Um, before we switch to the de- defensive side of the ball, we do need to talk about DK Metcalf, though. I mean, what a man-child. Not really a man-child. He's a man-man. But 22 years old and went off again tonight, last night. Tw- 10 receptions for 177 yards. He has had three huge games against the Eagles, and they have to be absolutely kicking themselves for draft- drafting JJR, Sega Whiteside, seven spots ahead of DK Metcalf that hurts it actually pronounced Arthega Whiteside Arthega oh is it Spanish apparently I didn't know that I didn't know until that yesterday <laughs> that's interesting I didn't know that but anyway so I mean DK is over a thousand yards now for the year and I believe he's the leading uh he's the leader in the league of, of receiving yards. Yeah. I mean, also, if you look at other players, uh, he, he said he used motivation from defensive, uh, uh, the defensive coach from the Eagles, Jim Schwartz, uh, (laughs) who called called and said, uh, well, what DK Metcalf heard was that you ain't no Megatron is what he heard, which is not exactly what was said, but that doesn't matter. It's about what DK heard. And he used that for fuel to say, oh yeah, I'll show you, show you buddy. Uh, Which is pretty funny. And if you look back at stats of like, you know, obviously DK is like, okay, he's not quite Megatron yet. But if you look at like their first two seasons and specifically the second season, Mm -hmm. DK is outperforming Megatron in all of the stats so far throughout their careers. Yep. Uh, which is pretty interesting. And I love that piece of motivation as Jim Schwartz was kind of uh, giving a, a compliment, but DK completely heard it as an insult and be like, oh yeah, I'll show you who the real Megatron is. Yeah, yeah, hold on. I'm going to pull up that because DK uh, retweeted someone that actually like kind of quoted uh, Jim Schwartz last night and he retweeted it with, the picture of Michael Jordan from the documentary, the uh, recent last documentary dance. on yeah, Last Dance, and I took that personally, like the that whole scene. And I, Ma- Michael Jordan obviously was notorious for kind of taking any kind of anything that was said to him and using that as a slight to become a chip on his shoulder, so that 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 would motivate him to 
play as well as he did. And yeah, so John Clark uh, at J Clark NBCS. So he works for NBC Sports. Says uh, Jim Jim Schwartz says he complimented DK before the game, told him he's got ton of, a ton of respect for him, and he was with Calvin in Detroit. Jim Schwartz was, and he's the closest thing to Megatron he's seen. Jim told him after the game, uh, "You may not be Calvin yet, but you're on your way." And he was complimenting DK both times, I guess. <laughs> so DK quote tweeted that and picture of Michael Jordan, the meme dot dot dot. And I took that personally. So DK is obviously following in the right footsteps as far as um, one of the all-time greats in, in Michael Jordan, possibly the GOAT, obviously, um, as far as being able to take even a compliment and turn it around and use that as fuel and motivation for, for proving people wrong. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. And obviously, I don't know if we said his full name yet or not, but Megatron, we're referring to Calvin Johnson. And he obviously has the notorious nickname Megatron. Yeah. By any chance, have either of you two seen Pete Carroll's tweet today about DK? and The his Mandalorian pretend- one? Yeah. Yeah, that was great. What Did are we going to call him Mando? Sure, I don't know. Is it supposed to be he a nickname? Have, he can have whatever nickname he wants, man. He is... Yeah next level like we have never had this kind of talent at wide receiver on the seahawks and sam let's talk about this for a second i had a discussion with my dad about dk metcalf and this was before this game this is like two weeks ago okay justin i don't know if you listen to this this episode of of sam and i's podcast but we talked about uh or actually no were you on you were on he he was on that episode right because we were talking about seahawks that episode possibly i don't know I think that you he were was mm, we yeah, might have been right. just talking shit and we might have, we might somehow have found our way from a husky episode talking about dk we were comparing dk Metcalf to steve largent oh boy and obviously our fathers have an affinity for steve largent my dad has a steve largent jersey that my sister and i gifted him uh, a couple years ago i think now and he wears it proudly and Fortunately, does not get this one dirty and tattered like he did his last one. So thank you, Dad, for <laughs> respecting the jersey that you're you're wearing on Sundays. But anyway, it's a hundred dollars, Phil. Come on, it's that one was pricey for sure. Yeah, um, it was a throwback jersey too. So yeah. Anyway, aside from that point, uh, Sam and I obviously had the inclination that our our fathers would feel very strongly if we were to say something uh, like that DK Metcalf is on a trend to be better than Steve Largent. And so after that episode came out, I had a conversation with my dad and he's like, I want to talk about your podcast. And I'm like, Oh, so you, so you listened to the last episode. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I did. And he says, um, which he's probably listening to this episode now. So that's funny. But (laughs) he says, DK Metcalf is better than Steve Largent. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, no, like Steve Largent was always a really solid receiver. And he's, he just like, I think it was more of the way that he played. And obviously he was an undersized receiver, um, kind of an old school guy, obviously didn't wear gloves and stuff like that. 
not that gloves were super popular back then, but still wider, a lot of wide receivers wore gloves back then. And just like kind of like that tough guy undersized mentality that he had. And he's just like, no, like, I mean, DK is a physical freak. Like there's, there's no comparing him to anyone that has ever been a Seahawks receiver, which I, I mean, obviously threw me aback, but the more that I think about it, I mean, I, th- I think that's probably correct. Like as great as Steve Largent was, and I'm not ever going to discount what he means to Seahawks fandom and Seahawks culture. Like, I think, I think he's always going to be kind of a goat in his own way. DK Metcalf is on a, another level. Like this guy is on a trend and has the potential to be the greatest wide receiver ever in the NFL. And I don't think that's an overstatement. Like this guy is 22 years old and already a matchup nightmare for anyone. He gave so many problems and whooped Darius Slay's ass on Monday night football on a primetime audience. Like, Darius Slay is one of the better cover corners in the league. And Jalen Ramsey can go off and say that, you know, I shut DK Metcalf down. Suffice to say, we didn't we didn't even target him in that game. Like, and I'll quote Ryan Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger right now when he said, and I completely agree, that DK needs to be getting 10 targets a game, regardless of who's up against him, because he is that good and that much of a nightmare nightmare matchup because of how physically dominant he is so i don't know how you guys feel about that i'm sorry if i went off on dk there but i just felt like that that was a necessary conversation that we have to have because i think we're seeing greatness and i'm enjoying it like hell right now whoever wants to go first i don't care yeah i'll just go quickly uh i i think your dad's spot on so phil's a smart man you know, you have the nostalgia of Steve Largent, and I'll still say he's the greatest wide receiver in Seattle Seahawks yep. history. I think still now. at this point. Yes. I don't think that's, you know, I think it's too soon in DK yep. Metcalf. Not to say he can't get there by any means, because of course right. he can. Uh, but be, that, with that being said, I mean, definitely even like just the first two years, you're in a pro wide receiver and still learning the ropes and your route combinations and et cetera. And then to do that against, I mean, some of those catches he made, I would say Darius Slay couldn't have been in a better position. Especially, like, I, especially thinking of that one-armed catch that he made over the, uh, over the shoulder over, down, over the shoulder downfield. I think it was yeah. like fifty yards or so. Um, so it, you know, there are not that many physical specimens in the league, and I would call Steve Largent a great route runner and a great, you know catcher of the football but i wouldn't call him a physical specimen right like dk metcalf is Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not often that you see one of those like that so uh definitely agree with your dad sam seven time pro bowler here we go nfl man of the year first ballot hall of fame one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons, a thousand plus yards, a hundred career touchdowns. In a different era, too. And he had someone else throw into him. So the sporting news list of the 100 greatest football players of all time, Steve Largent, ranked number 46. 
So when you speak his name, put some respect on it. All right. I have. Sure. I mean, if you well, looked did, at, didn't I back up my point with saying that I think he's always going to be oh, a goat in one way. Okay. Wow. He's, he's a good route runner. He's always been a solid catcher of the ball. Fuck that. Steve Largent is one of the top receivers that has ever played the game. I agree. DK has a chance to be in that category. Steve Largent and above is, that category, dude. Like he has the he has the chance to be the best ever. Uh, I don't know, Jerry Rice. You can call man. it you can call it a loaded statement, but they have talked regularly, Russell and DK, about being the next Steve Young and Jerry Rice or Joe Montana and Steve and Jerry Rice. I'll ask so. you. I'll ask you another question. Yep. Who's throwing the ball to DK? I get it, Russell Wilson. Yep. I Who threw the ball to Steve Largent? What Dave Craig and Jim some Zorn? Other, Jim Zorn. Both, both were solid quarterbacks at their time. I'm not saying that they're Russell Wilson. Wilson, get out of here. I'm not saying they're Russell Wilson. And it's also a different era when they didn't throw the ball as much. So Steve mm-hmm. Largent obviously like put up stats that were crazy for the time that he played because they did not throw the ball and sling the ball around the yard like they do in today's world. Average but 16 yards per catch over his career. DK could average like 20 plus. He could. He could. I hope he does. I think DK is phenomenal. I think he's great. He definitely has the potential to be an all-time Seahawks, all-time NFL player. But we're in year two. I, I mean, I'm pumping the brakes on it a little bit. I get it. I love All I'm what saying, I'm seeing. Yeah, all I'm He's saying no is there. Large yeah. Okay. Well, not right now. He, he. There is more more meat on this bone. He's not getting the necessary targets for his skill level. For one, two, he's still dropping the ball. Like there, there are so many plays still out there for hey, him. Hey Connor, guess who didn't drop the ball? He could have had two hundred plus yards <laughs> last night and a touchdown. Guess who would have had. 200 plus yards and another touchdown. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. Not against that defense. No way. So here's the thing. Athletes are better, stronger, faster now uh, than they used to be. You have Mm -hmm. a more quantity of good athletes than you used to. This is a fair point. And so DK Metcalf against these really good athletes in year two has over a thousand yards in 11 games. Steve Largent uh, in his second year had 643 yards receiving. In 14 games right and so while i don't i don't want to say he's better than steve largent yeah definitely not in a seattle Seahawks i don't think any career. of us are saying that right now i think we we the are trajectory saying that he has the and, his, and his ceiling is much higher correct than steve largent's and that is not debatable yeah okay <laughs> sam shut up dude <laughs> no okay. i'm saying like i get his ceiling potential is phenomenal i'm talking about the realistic chance that he is going to end his career as a better receiver than Steve Largent, Mm. regardless how physically talented he is. Steve Largent was so consistently good for so long. Consistently good is a very good good point. And he was consistently on shitty teams. How many playoff games did the guy play? Well, and that's part of the equation too. So, yeah. So listen, I understand where you guys are coming from. I generally agree with you that DK Metcalf's potential and ceiling is higher than Steve Largent's ever was. 
But come on. He was a good route runner and he was a good catcher of the ball. Throw the guy a bone. First ballot Hall of Famer. He was Hall of Famer, he, so. he he had every single receiving record in NFL history when he retired mm. for all intents and purposes. 819 receptions, 13,000 yards, 100 touchdowns. Let's at least give the guy some respect. I know he's an old timer, but geez. suffice to say, honestly, we probably even shouldn't even be having this conversation at this point in DK's career. But we're fans. It's exciting. I love yep, it. We're too. fans, and DK is just, I mean, he's the world is his oyster. Like, I mean, he could be as great as he wants to be. And because of the physical talent that he has and the quarterback that he has thrown to him. So I'm excited for DK's future and excited to see what he can do with the rest of the season. Cause like, what, like we said, he only threw 11 games, he's got over a thousand yards and nine touchdowns. So, I mean, he's trending towards 15, 1600 yards. I mean, if we start targeting him, like we think that he should be targeted, he could end up near 2000 yards. I think like, I don't think that's out of the question yet, even though the odds are against him, but if he averages, you know, hundred, hundred and something yards a game, 150 yards a game or so he could get there. And I don't in six in five games. Like, I don't think that's out of the question, but let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball here. Defense at a solid game, like it. And Sam, you, you said it, you said it well when it's it's I mean it's against a very underwhelming Philadelphia Eagles offense and really they really they gave up nine points because the seventeen came on a garbage hail mary touchdown that was a miraculous play by Dallas Goddard but at the same time I wouldn't really call that a traditional touchdown given up in 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 your regular defensive scheme. So it was just a Hail Mary with 12 seconds to go. So really only gave up nine points. So against any NFL team, that's really solid. And it was really nice to see for as helpless as this defense was the first half of the season, they don't look helpless anymore. Like there, there are spot plays out there that it's just like, yeah, like that's, that looks a little bit like some Seahawks defense there. I don't think they're ever going to be a top 10 defense. Like I don't, I don't think this team is ever going to be a defensive oriented team. Like they're always going to lean on their offense because that is the more talented side of the ball. Nonetheless, with the acquisition of Carlos Dunlap, there has been a renewed energy on the defensive line and they have been able to create pressure at a very good rate. I don't have that stat right in front of me, but I know that they're towards the top of the league and in sacks over the past, like four or five weeks. And um, he's a huge part of that, obviously, but aside, I mean, obviously he's, he's played a big role in this, but I feel like this was like one of our most well-rounded defensive games. I don't know if you guys agree, but who, who would you spotlight on this defense from their performance on Monday night? I'll throw it to you first, Sam. Yeah, I think Bobby Wagner had a really good game. Mm-hmm. That's the easy pick. I think he's 
Mr. Consistent for sure. Sure. Um, I think this is an easier pick than that, but Jamal Adams. Yeah, you talked about him really, really well. Yep. I felt like he, for the first game, showed up in some coverage situations, which is nice to see. I think he's been so predominantly in this like linebacker, rover, blitzing, close to the line of scrimmage role, which he's obviously elite at, but he has at times been a bit of a liability in some coverage situations so far Mm -hmm. this season. So it was nice to see if only to feel a little bit that he's buying into the coverage aspect of his role on this team was really good to see. So I think in terms of, you know, long-term rest of the season, what did I see in this game that I really liked was pass rush is continuing to take steps forward. And then Jamal Adams just taking on a more well-rounded role within this defense Mm -hmm. with that being said i have mixed feelings about jamal adams he's kind of an annoying player to me he talks so much crap sure he's always talking like i've seen him get beat and he's still talking yeah i mean i get that and i think the old school i tend to be a little bit old school like you sam as far as just kind of like traditional you know play the game the right way and um you oh, know I, like i'd love act, to act, see someone and, talk smack and, well and act like you've been there before type thing though and i understand the whole thing with with jamal especially because he's been pretty underwhelming for how much we gave up for him but at the same time i think that's what i think that's what motivates him like i think he i think that's what gets him fired up is himself talking so i I agree, but at the same time, I I also caveat it with the fact that I think um, players should do them, and whatever whatever fires them up, and whatever gets them going, and lets them play to their highest level, I'm all for doing that. Yeah, for them no, doing that. I agree with that. I think you know if there's an element of him getting all fired up, gets the team going as well. I think that can be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Especially when he plays like, how he did last night. Right, right. I mean, nine tackles, a sack. And that's the bright two QB hits. That's the that's the bright part of that kind of personality. Yeah. Right? I guess I would just I feel like when you're just talking smack all the time and sure. sometimes you aren't backing it up. And you're on historically the worst defense ever in football. <laughs> yeah, like there's just something that doesn't feel right about it to me. And then I also think it takes away like if you're always doing that, it doesn't make it the special thing. Right. Like, obviously, it's been romanticized in football films and Hollywood all the time. It's like the quiet player on the team in a pivotal moment in the season jumps up at halftime and just gets animated and it, you know, gets the team going. I think there's some truth to that. And if the mm. guy's just constantly yapping, like, I think it loses some of its weight. But, I don't know. I think one other person that I would definitely call out that I thought played really well was Puna Ford. He had three QB hits. He got a sack, four tackles. He's Mm -hmm. a big boy. And I think we need that type of interior pass rush to help out as well. But I think that also might be a little bit of a result of the attention that people like, um, I'm having a brain fart. Carlos Dunlap is 
taking to the edge and it's mm-hmm. freeing up some pass rushing lanes inside. So yep. whether it's Jaron Reed or Puna Ford, those guys need to continue to bring the pressure and push the pocket. Yeah. Before I let you talk here, Justin, cause I know you have something to say cause you were laughing while Sam was, Sam was talking. Um, Puna Ford's a really, really good call out Sam. Cause uh, again, Brian M. Hauser at Hawk blogger had a really good tweet earlier about an hour ago. Um, we aren't talking enough about Puna Ford. He's currently the 10th ranked defensive tackle in the NFL per PFF. And since week seven, he ranks third behind only Aaron Donald and Jonathan Allen. And he's obviously not just a run defender. He's ranked ninth in pressure since week seven, third in the last two weeks. So he's doing it all. And it might not show up on a stat sheet, but he is making things happen for that defense whether it be pressuring the quarterback and taking on blockers or clogging up running lanes in, in, in the run game. So Puna Ford is having a kind of, kind of quiet, but breakout season. Like if, if you're not looking at advanced metrics, you probably wouldn't know, but if you're paying attention and watching, he passes the eye test too. Like if you're watching just him on a play, he's blowing up run lanes, he's blowing up, offensive linemen all over the place on pressures and everything so good shout out puna ford is is really becoming a solid player as an undrafted player too so that's another cool story but justin i know you had something to say probably it was back with the jamal adams kind of talk and stuff like that so i don't know what you had to say but you were laughing so please i i'm I'm just so glad for your audience that you bring me on to appeal to the younger, <laughs> less than 40 year old audience that you typically have because yeah, we're old timers here. So, yeah. So what I wanted, I wanted to, what I was laughing at specifically was Sam talking about the yapping that Jamal Adams is doing. And <laughs> what we have to look at is, you know, I, I think I'm known as the optimist, right, Sam? And we have to look at the positive. <laughs> no, you're not the optimist. You've always been a realist, borderline pessimist. So we have to look at the positives, Sam. And let's look at the positives of Jamal Adams. Let's he has that. 27 total pressures, missing however many games, three, four, this season. That is by far the most of any safety, who has 12, is the second most of any pressure, so okay, over double. Well, what's his blitz rate compared to the average safety? He, he has gets, eight. He gets pressure per blitz rate, like very, like high, higher than any other defensive mm-hmm. back in the league. He has eight sacks. The next highest is two for any safety. And so I'm not saying he's been perfect by any stretch. I think the Buffalo game, he wasn't particularly, particularly good, nor was he probably healthy either. Yep. Um, but we brought him in for a specific need and that was not to be Earl Thomas. That was to go and get the quarterback because we knew going into this season, that pass rush was one of our biggest weaknesses, if not the biggest. And so we needed to go and address that. We got Jamal Adams to come and rush the passer as well as do some other safety things, but really to address, you know, uh, to bring that rushing the passer, um, threat that he has. We brought in Carlos Dunlap to do the same thing. And so this is just, you know, you can argue whether or not we gave up too much for Jamal Adams, which I think is a very relevant argument. But the fact is we have him. And for what he's done and the pressure that he's generated, I would argue that that has been decent to good overall rather than 
that. And so I would say, you know, there is something to uh, the yapping culture, uh, but also he has produced in ways that this team has needed to. All right. So here's what I don't appreciate about this comment you make here, Justin. (laughs) You paint me out to be like some old geezer that doesn't appreciate the yapping culture. And yes, I'm doing air quotes when I say yapping culture. Your word, not mine. You just went off about Steve Largent for 20 minutes. That's because he's a damn good player and he's in wearing a gold jacket. Okay, go ahead. Continue. If anybody was born and raised in the yapping culture, I was at Sonics games all the time growing up, and I loved me some glove, Gary okay. Payton. So what I'm saying, I have no problem with the yapping and the trash you talk back it up. and talking mess, but you have to back it up, and it's my opinion that in general – You are for sure playing on a historically bad defense in NFL history. Jamal Adams in his own right has been great in one aspect of playing defensive football, and that's rushing the passer as a safety. And he has not been playing particularly well in the other parts of the game. So what I was trying to articulate was that I don't appreciate him walking around like he's the king of the world talking smack when our defense sucks up until this last game and he himself hasn't played particularly well now if he's gary the payton getting in everybody's head winning games defensively making plays on the offensive side of the floor rebounding getting steals doing everything talk the talk if you can walk the walk and i know jamal adams is a great player and he has the ability to walk the walk and he definitely did this past monday night against philadelphia eagles but that's the first time i feel like he's earned the right to really talk the way that he does he played really well in the atlanta game in the first game of the season too i let's let's not get too ahead of ourselves guys because he's only played seven games in a seahawks uniform like we're very early i think in this seven games 27 pressures eight sacks that's not terrible yeah not bad one aspect of his he's also averaged in pass coverage this year which is below his expectation for sure yeah but yeah I'm not saying he's a bad player. I think Jamal Adams is really good and he's added an element to the defense. I'm just saying for me and my personal taste and my opinion of what yapping culture is all about is being able to back it up. And I think there's been more than enough instances of him not backing it up that it rubs me the wrong way. If you want to talk about yapping, what was your opinion of Darius Slay and insert Eagles players here going after DK Metcalf early in the game? Uh, they're idiots. I think they were. Uh, I think they were scared of DK, and they didn't know what else to do other than try to throw him off his game and stuff. But they were frustrated, think, obviously, by how physically dominant he is. Who was it? Was it McLeod? Or... It was yeah. McLeod that he bounced. I tried off to of... tried to hit stick uh, yeah. DK and just bounced right off. Right. Boy, yeah. Yeah. That was pretty funny. Yeah, no, I think like that kind of is my point to a more extreme is like, how can you talk like that when you get rolled for what DK had 177 yards? Yeah, Mm -hmm. 10 receptions, 177 yards. Yeah. Should have been 200 and a touchdown. Yeah. So. I anyway, guess hot takes on the Seahawks segment. I didn't know I was going to be, you know, this is fun, dude. This is good. Tonight, but fine. No, this is good. This is what this is what the listeners want. Is like, you know, some debate. So this is good. 
One um, other point that I wanted to make real quick about the defensive football. You yeah, guys I, your I, want, I want us to each like highlight a player. So go ahead, Justin. Uh, going back to players, I think you guys hit on it well with uh, Puna Ford, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams having really good games. Uh, not necessarily like the best game ever, but just an important player back for the Seahawks is Shaquille Griffin. Yep. I think, you know, I, I very optimistically, I had Trey Flowers as my breakout player in the second half. I think he's played fine, dude. That, and not that he's been terrible, but I don't think that's like going to be our saving grace, more like Carlos Dunlap. Well, I mean, I, I'm not convinced that Quentin Dunbar is going to be healthy. They call it a chronic knee issue that he has. Yeah, like, I, I, think mean, Trey, I think Trey weeks. Flowers is going to be a big part of this defense going forward, no matter what, whether we like it or not. And, <laughs> One way or another, for yeah, sure. I think uh, I, I honestly think he's played well over the past like four weeks. Yeah, for sure. So uh, him and then Kill Griffin back, yeah. super important. Um, we expected to see more DJ Reed, uh, the cornerback there. He got zero snaps in the yeah, which is kind of fascinating. Um, but also one thing funny, I mean, besides Carson Wentz, just making terrible reads and missing open receivers or just throwing directly to Quandre Diggs or, you know, whatever insert terrible throw here. <laughs> what was the point of them bringing Jalen Hurts on for a play to then take him off? Yeah, I think, and maybe this is me reading between the tea leaves a little bit too much, but I noticed that Russell Wilson had some communication issues with this helmet and so i'm wondering that was it that's the only thing that i can it doesn't make any sense i try to make sense of it and the only thing that i can possibly come up with is that wentz had something going on whether it was equipment related or getting some injury just checked out or retaped or something yeah i i mean carson was standing right on the sideline the whole time yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It makes no damn sense. It was weird. I I think it's just. I mean, I think it's just the Eagles being stupid. Like, I don't think we have to overthink this. Like, I I think they're floundering and trying to find any way to spark their offense without actually giving up on Carson Wentz. So they just put Jalen Hurts in there for a play just to see what happened and see if they could get a different look. Maybe, um, maybe they could take advantage of some kind of mismatch opportunity if if the Seahawks weren't paying attention, but it obviously, I mean, it was like a, what, like a five or six yard out route or something like that. They ended up throwing. So I mean, it was a good throw. One of the better throws on the evening on the Eagles side. <laughs> like, so, I mean, their best play of the whole night was the hail Mary that broke 70% of Vegas's hearts. Yeah. Don't gamble folks. Six and a half, six and a half point spread was the line there. And Seahawks ended up winning by six. So the Eagles covered, but like I said, it's what really was a 23 to nine game up until mm-hmm. 12 seconds to go. So one guy that I want to call out on the defense real quick is KJ Wright. And we talked about him the last time that we all were together and talked about Seahawks, just how undervalued and underappreciated he is a lot of the time, just because he's so solid. And like he resigned a contract and, honestly kind of played he was either injured or was playing kind of poorly towards the end of the season before he signed that contract i can't remember what it was he went off in the dallas game though so because it was a two-year deal i think this is the second year on his deal anyway though i think he honestly had the play of the game in this in this game though that fourth down batted pass like that's kind of what made the difference between 
this game being a one score game and then us being kind of more, a little bit more comfortable. Eagles went for it in our territory on fourth and like two and Carson Wentz snaps the ball and is about to hit an out route to one of his receivers and KJ Wright reads the play backs off of his, uh, his, the guy that was blocking him, his, the offensive lineman and bats the ball down and it's a turnover on down Seahawks get the ball. I think they end up making three points out of that to make it a 23 or 20 to nine game. I can't remember which, which part of the game that was, but I thought that was honestly kind of the play of the game. Like I thought that was like, that's after that play, I was confident that we were going to win the game. And before that, I thought there was a chance that we might pull a full-blown, you know, Seahawks blow it type thing. Yeah. We'll talk about that soon, (laughs) but yeah. Um, So I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, but I just thought KJ played a really solid game and even just go down a stat line, you know, five tackles, a sack. He was in on a sack as well. And then two tackles for loss. And then that big, big pass deflection. So KJ is quietly having kind of like I talked about with um, who was I talking about earlier? Puna, Puna Ford quietly having a really good year. Yeah. I think KJ had a great game. I think that definitely was one of the bigger plays of the game for sure. A turning mm-hmm. point, if you will. Um, and I think actually one of the things that's worth calling out here as well, another player, but just in general, the Seahawks defensively with Pete Carroll's defensive scheme is kind of like one of the last defenses to really play a true four, three defense as the base defense. And we run three linebackers. I don't know. I don't have the advanced stat in front of me, but I'm sure we run three linebacker sets just as much, if not the most compared to the rest of the league. Yeah. And obviously when you have Bobby and KJ, they're both, you know, all time Seahawks greats. Bobby's for sure a hall of famer. I think KJ Wright probably has a shot at it as well. I think one of the things that we've struggled with this season and even arguably ever since Bruce Irvin left the first time is who's that third guy mm-hmm. and we got Michael Kendricks in and out. And we obviously spend a valuable draft pick on a guy like Jordan Brooks. I felt like he had his first game where he kind of showed up on the stat sheet and made he's some played, plays. He's honestly played well the last few games, but um I thought he showed out in the stat sheet a little bit more in this game. Yeah. Right. Which is what you want to see. I mean, we've, we've played a lot of Cody Barton in that spot this season as well. I mean, the plan all along was to have Irvin back before he blew his knee out. But I think to me, that was another just silver lining of this game was to see Jordan Brooks, at least in my mind, feel like taking one more step towards becoming the player that we hope he can be and becoming the player that we more or less need him to be to really, take a step forward on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And he's got, he's got speed for that position for sure. And that's, oh, yeah. that's, that was fully on display in this game. And he's honestly covering pretty well for that position for a young, young player as well. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm very encouraged by Jordan Brooks's play over the last few weeks. I think he's, I think he's really solid and maybe, maybe not living up to his first round hype, but um I think he's I think he's going to develop into a very good player for the Seahawks for for a while here. Um 
Anything else that you guys want to touch on in, in this game? Uh, I guess the other thing, so you brought up Cody Barton for a second. And as underwhelming Ooh. as he's been on defense, that guy packs a punch on special teams. And he's been laying the lumber on some punt returners and kick returners like pretty regularly over the past four or five games. So I will credit Cody Barton. While I've been extremely frustrated with his um, his playmaking ability on defense, he certainly is is doing his job on de- on special teams and making critical tackles. And when he's making those tackles, he's laying the lumber. So, yeah, little... no, he he had a good stick there for sure. Um, yeah. I think before we segue off of the Seahawks, we should definitely revisit our predictions for the rest of the season for so sure. oh, good call out. going back to the last episode we had with the seahawks the three of us made our win loss and ending record predictions mm-hmm. so far justin and connor you guys are perfect so maybe dk metcalf is better than jerry rice and steve largent combined jamal adams is probably the best safety of all time as well jesus christ okay <laughs> <laughs> So don't listen to me because apparently I'm an idiot because I thought we were going to beat the Rams two weeks ago, but we lost. So pretty handily too. Yeah, that was, that was a bad call by me. But anyways, <laughs> if we look at the rest of the season, I Connor, you have us winning out. Mm-hmm. Justin, you and I have the same record over the next, what is that? Five games. We yep. have us winning out with a loss at home against the Rams in the second to last week of the season. I guess just quickly go around the table and ask you guys if you would stick with that pick or would you make any changes? Justin, you want to go first? Yeah, so looking at the next three games, especially two, we're home against both New York teams. Like, good God. New York Giants, if they're without, who've been playing better, but without Daniel Jones, good night. And then the Jets are just a hapless piece of shit. So, Let's win, win. Uh, at Washington football team. Uh, they've also been playing better. Their D line is legit. So yeah, uh, that, is scary. That that could be scary, but we're an overall better team. We should win that game. Rams are a really bad matchup for us. They yeah. exploit us pretty bad. They dink and dunk against our offense all the time. Fifteen yards, fifteen yards, fifteen yards. Um, Aaron Don Aaron Donald kills us. Yeah, I just haven't – we got lucky on Thursday night football last season when we beat the beat the Rams off a missed field goal. Almost every other game, they've beat us pretty handily uh, besides Jared Goff and Sean, uh, Jared Goff and Sean McVay's first matchup against us when but he had like four or five turnovers, if you remember that game down in the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. So until I see it, I just can't pick the Rams to lose to us. Um and then the 49ers last game of the season, while they still do have a chance at wild card, they're probably not playing for much there. So they might be resting some, they have a ton of injuries, so they might be resting some guys. And so I, I, I'm sticking with my pick. Not sure about Trey Flowers. Uh, I'll just stick with it for lack of a better. Uh, <laughs> it's like a half breakout pick. player. Right. Uh, and that's it. So I'll turn it over to you guys. Yeah, um, I feel I feel pr- relatively confident about us winning out. I think this team's turning a little bit of a corner here, and this is typical Pete Carroll. 
teams, you know, starting to kind of put it together towards the end of the year and schedule definitely favors them. I mean, I feel we are, if not, if not heavily favored, definitely favored in four out of the five of these matchups. And I think we were, we're even favored in, in that Rams game as well. And I think this defense is turning a corner. I think I, I said it earlier. I don't think they're ever going to be like a top 10 defense or anything like that, but there's talent there. Like there, there's definitely talent on this defense and they're starting to realize it. And, you know, if you think the de- think of the defense as an amoeba, like they're finally kind of forming into a cohesive unit, like the, the pass rush is working, which is helping out the coverage rates of, our our defensive backfield and the linebackers are tackling a lot better i feel like in the last you know three or four games as well our tackling overall has been better um the one big caveat i think is is if carlos dunlap is actually healthy he's got a a foot thing basically is how pete pete described it and he went out towards the end of that that game against the eagles um, I think we're probably fine without him for a week or two if it comes to it, but I really hope that that doesn't linger into the latter half, like those last two division games. I really want to make sure he's back for those and especially that playoff push. So if Carlos Dunlap is healthy for at least those last two games and the playoffs, I, I feel, I feel really good about the Seahawks chances. Um, I honestly i i feel better about the rams game the second time around again like i said i think the defense is turning a corner and i also think that um we typically don't lose twice two division opponents in a given year i'm i'm honestly more worried about the 49ers game than i am about the rams game and one of the reasons why I'm worried about the 49ers game is because of the COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County. They are likely to play that game in Arizona. And that is just a house of horrors for us as far as not necessarily results, some results, yes, but mostly injuries. I'm just worried what could happen in that game. And the Seahawks have blundered and fallen over themselves in week 17 in the past, usually when it doesn't matter that much as far as seeding goes, but that's going to, that game's going to matter. Like that game is going to matter for seeding. I already know it right now. So that's the game I'm honestly worried the most about. I do think we win against the Rams in week 16. I'm a little worried about the 49ers in week 17. Um, That's kind of my, my summation of my predictions at this point though. What about you, Sam? Yeah. I'll probably stick with what I have for now. I do think we have a soft schedule the next three weeks with Giants, Jets, and Washington. Mm-hmm. And I think ending the game with the two conference or the two division games against the Rams and the 49ers, I do agree with Justin's analysis. I won't repeat it all, but I do think that the Rams more or less have our number of, of late. So I think I, until we show that we're not so one dimensional offensively. I think we'll likely drop one more game before the end of the year. But I think the one call out I would have is it's for sure possible for us to run the table here and end the season 13 and three. And Mm -hmm. if we end up 13 and three, 
probably means that we're clicking offensively in multiple facets of the attack. Our defense is playing better. 13 and three probably gets us the number one seed. So I'd predict if we do end the season 13 and three, I think you're looking at a Super Bowl berth. Yep. With this team. That's the only time we've ever been in the Super Bowl before is with that number one seed. So the three times that we have gone to the Super Bowl, we have always been a, I don't want a one seed and obviously don't have the crowd this year. And as optimistic as many of you Seahawks fans might be out there and some of you 12s, there's no way that there's going to be fans in that stadium no. this year. Um, and even not in the playoffs. So enjoy watching them on TV and support them from home. Stay happy, stay healthy. But um, yeah, that's the home, the true home field advantage is not going to be a thing. But the thing is that obviously our, our team doesn't have to travel in that circumstance, which is an advantage. And then also is familiar with the surroundings just being at, at Lumen field is what we're calling it now. All right. Anything else? Um, I think we kind of touched on our our outlook for the rest of the season. Obviously, the Seahawks Seahawks team should be a Super Bowl contender. And Sam said it best that with the talent on this team, that should be the expectation right now. Um, whether or not they live up to that is another thing. Obviously, this defense has been awful, like god awful, through the first half of the season. They are playing better as of late if they are able to turn the tide and the offense is able to get kind of back to where it was earlier in the season, then I think you, I think you see this team go on a run. It's very, very likely that they could make a Super Bowl run. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's a weird year. NFL 2020. It's been, it's been weird so far and probably is going to only get weirder over the next five weeks of this season and into the playoffs. So as exciting as the Seahawks team is, we have an even more exciting football team here in, in Seattle, I think. And Justin, come on, dude. You went to UW. You're a Husky. I did, but I was born a Seahawk. I get it. And so was I. Oh. I was. On my own again. No, I'm I'm not <laughs> saying that, Sam. Like I I picked up I really became a Husky football fan. Probably the two year when we went to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Like that was the year that like that like that's like my initial first kind of memory of Husky football. I guess that's, that's pretty kind early. Of, you were like eight years old. Yeah. But I mean, obviously like through the like the next seven to eight years was pretty rough after that. Um I don't know what you're talking about. The Gilby years, man. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but Jake Locker is the one that brought me back into it. And we've talked about this before, Sam. I was listening to Jake Locker's first game in in Syracuse, New York, um, against the the Orange Men. Is that what they are? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, and Bob Rondo calling that game on on radio. I was listening to that. But anyway, Huskies. Let's talk some Huskies. Justin, we haven't talked Huskies with you yet yet this year so i'm happy to hear your thoughts and excited to see what you can bring to this this debate table and this plethora of information here that we have 
Let's of, put them on the spot really quick. We yeah. Connor and I we had a spirited debate a couple episodes ago. Who would be your Mount Rushmore? It's a good way. Husky football since our college days. Since our college days. Yeah. yeah. Like from the beginning of our college days to now. Yeah. Okay. 2020, uh, I guess for you, was it 2011? 2012. That's when I started. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, the first name that came to my head was Buddha Baker. I don't know if it's going to stay there, but I'm going to put it like in the queue. It's a good, if you will. It's a good one. It's a solid um, choice. If it's the first name that comes to my mind, he has to be good, right? Um, yeah. He was all right. He, he's decent. Since our college days. All right. So who else? I mean, I loved Miles Gaskin. Hmm. Yep. Um, My man. <laughs> I loved Miles Gaskin. I mean, we've had so many good running backs in the last 15, 10, 10 to 15 years or so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, Chris Polk to Bishop. I might be getting the order wrong, but to nope. Chris Polk to Bishop Sankey. That's correct. We had another one in between him and Gaskin. Who else? It was kind of like Dwayne Washington, LeVon Coleman in between. Dwayne Washington, yeah. right. That That's wasn't right. a great in, running year, honestly. No, I mean, Washington still made the NFL. Um, He's still in the NFL. Right. Yeah. He is. Uh, okay, but regardless, Gaskin, uh, hmm, this is where it gets tougher for me. <sighs> Shaq Thompson make it? It's a good one. Hmm. It's hard for me to justify putting Jake Browning on there. I, I, I don't th- why? I don't th- so he was part of our success, but I don't think he was the reason for our success. If that makes sense. Quarterback of one of the it's the most important one position. of the, one of the better teams in Washington history. But did we win because of Jake Browning? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, earlier. On- earlier on in that season yeah. we'll put him to the side so i think i'm going to move buddha baker and miles gaskin into the finalized positions yeah i think they're shoe wins yeah sure yep. uh jake browning i'm going to put over to the side shaq thompson over to the side <sighs> wide receivers how important are they i mean john ross and dante pettis were both really good um for the huskies i mean john ross you could arguably say he was our most dangerous player in our final four run on offense Sure. Um, haven't even touched cornerback yet, which is our DBU, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Sydney Jones, Byron Murphy, uh, Kevin King. You touched is, on Buddha, obviously, but yeah, uh, this is I uh, yeah safety. This is a hard one, guys. I don't it know. I mean, we've had some good players here. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think Connor and I had it a little bit easier. Because we Locker. were there with Jake Locker, so we had. Oh, I wasn't there with Locker. Yeah, right. yeah. So we had Locker, Gaskin, and Buddha. Uh huh. So you have a little bit. You have like one extra seat to fill. Sure. That we had an obvious choice. Oh, Byron Murphy was really good. He was. So was Shaq Tom- I'm gonna put Shaq Thompson on there. I think he was That's really good. good for us. Yep. Morning um, award winner, man. I mean, I mean played both sides of the ball because yeah. we needed him on running back. Too. That's what yeah. I'm saying. That wasn't a great running back here. That was the year that Shaq, Shaq Thompson was carrying the ball. Uh, so I'm going to put him at three. Four is a tough one. Um, I think if Byron Murphy had played all three years, right. he'd probably be a shoe in then. Yeah, but, probably. Because he... 
He was for the Huskies. I'm going to put Dante Pettis, and this is only slight. Like I could probably wake up and think of a different name. I like that, but in my head, I'm just going to go with Dante Pettis right now. I like he did a lot over his four years here. Well, I mean, his punt returns. He's does he still have the record? Does he still have the record? Absolutely. Yeah, for career. Yeah, touchdowns from for punt returns. Yeah, I don't think that'll be touched. Was that while. season or was that career? Career, career. Yeah. Nine. How many did he have that one season? Six, seven. He had like know. four. Or oh, five, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think he had like I think he had like two or three in his first or his sophomore and junior year, and then he had like four or five in his senior year. I think. Gotcha. He had one in his freshman year against Colorado. Who was your guys' fourth on Rushmore? I went with Browning. Okay. And I think I went with I, just to change it up. I went with Chris Polk, and okay, it was like one of those things that like I, I thought of um, Jake Locker and Chris Polk as, um, I mean that was that was like that was like the Chris Polk also was like the running back I guess like while I was in college like Bishop Sankey was there my senior year, mm-hmm. but um, just with us running the ball like that's typically been a pretty mainstay part of the UW offense throughout the years. And like you said, Justin, we've had many great running backs over the years. And that was the running back when I was in college mm-hmm. was Chris Polk. Um, even though Bishop Sankey ended up putting up bigger numbers than him. Um, I just, I loved his running style. Um, I thought he had huge runs for us as well. I, I, I think I remember more game breaking plays from Chris Polk than I do Bishop Sankey as far yeah. as just like clutch runs um and he dominated the apple cup mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know if bishop sankey did obviously miles gaskin did but um yeah. i have to go back and look i think miles gaskin takes the cake as far as dominating apple cup but <laughs> yeah um, i ain't but, never lost to no coog yeah but chris polk definitely did did a number on the coogs as well and i mean the 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 run that even though it was just a such a simple run um if you look at the highlight, but the fourth and one to send us to a bowl are our freshman year, Sam yeah. against Cal at Cal, just like that run just sticks out to me because we hadn't been to a bowl since 2001 or two. Yeah. Something crazy. So um, it had been a long while and it was good to get back to a bowl and it was on the shoulders of Chris Polk. So didn't even mention the D line like Vita Vea, like yeah, Greg Gaines, Vita's or... Danny Shelton, Danny yep. Shelton. I think, Holy I think, Kikaha. yep, I think Vita's probably the biggest shout out out of all those guys. But Danny Shelton was a hell of a player while we were in college, too. I think Danny probably was more productive in his full career than Vita was, but sure. Vita's senior had the year better was year, just yeah, bonkers for sure. And Siler Miles, of course, to sustain. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> anyways uh, i think that's a solid mount rushmore i'm not going to give you too much flack for that one oh it's a good one uh so yeah justin bringing it back more to 2020 what were your thoughts on the big comeback 24 to 21 victory over utah i just want to hear kind of your general thoughts and obviously we're going to preview this next game against stanford as well but reflect on this last game well, Connor, I was pretty jazzed. Uh, I just got home and accidentally spilled a beer when they won. So that's if that tells you my celebration level. Was it an accident? 
uh well i don't know you can call it subconscious uh, on purpose but yeah. i just don't know if that's the right word but yeah mm. yeah I, I mean pretty jazz obviously the first half there was not much to celebrate which you guys covered in depth but the yeah. second right. half we were able to really clamp down on their quarterback i think his name is bentley um mm-hmm. jake bentley and really clamped down. I mean, he was exposing us in the first half, getting out of the pocket, making dangerous runs. ZTF is a player, man. And mm-hmm. so I'm really, I'm really jazzed watching him. Um, and three, and know, I mean, kind of going back to the Sounders and we called it a professional performance, but just the mentality of Jimmy Lake to go into halftime and say like, you know, it's time for us to buck up right here and coming out on halftime, scoring right away, holding them to zero points in the second half when they were moving the ball decently well um, in the first. So that was it was all good to see, and then forcing turnovers as well. I think that Utah was plagued in that in their first game against USC, but just us, you know, continuing to force fumbles and getting interceptions was huge for us. Um, and so I was, it was awesome to watch that. It was pretty wild. I mean, I was in a bad, bad place. <laughs> what do you mean, Sam? I was not. Describe thinking... your situation. Like in detail? Yeah, what was your bad place? What's your bad place? My bad place is Connor's backyard watching the damn game on his projector. Oh. Uh, watching us go 21 to 0 down at half. I was Sam, like, are you going to come back over? Uh, I will wait until I can watch the game inside because I'm superstitious <laughs> like that. Uh, I so left. Wait, did you leave at halftime? Uh, yes. Did. I left, <laughs> got myself two deluxe, two fries. Which was the plan all along, so it's all oh, good. Okay, okay. Yeah, I was ready to leave anyways. It wasn't going to be a pleasant pleasant situation if I stayed. And they it would have been a pleasant situation if the same thing happened and you would have been there, but I agree. Yeah, but the reason we won is because I left, Connor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got my purple wrapped deluxe burgers on Husky Saturday, went back to my parents' place and finished watching the game there. Do they wrap them in purple at the Edmonds location? Oh, yeah. Nice. And you get blue and green on Sundays. That's great. Dix Dix keeps it straight. Um, That's great. But yeah, so I was pretty pleased with the turnaround. I totally woke up the whole house. I think my my (laughs) my mom sister and my wife were watching some hallmark christmas classic on the other side of the house when we scored that touchdown to kate Otten. i went fucking nuts <laughs> they're like what happened but i threw a i threw a uh um a lawn chair so in my backyard hopefully it was the one that was already broken actually it wasn't but yeah it's it's still intact so maybe that's how the other one broke i'm not sure yeah maybe but yeah i thought it was overall i mean tale of two halves two different teams i thought Mm -hmm. the staff did an amazing job with some second half adjustments the one that really stood out to me watching the game back a second time was obviously we struggled in the first half defensively i mean putting up allowing 21 points to Utah and a half is pretty brutal way to start the game. One of the things that I noticed was obviously Ryan Bowman, who's our starting outside linebacker, didn't play whether he's injured COVID related. We still don't really know. Um, I think it's, I think it's an injury is my guess. That would be my guess, but 
basically the way that we went to fill in that position was we took one of our defensive tackles, Josiah Bronson. He played the entire first half at outside linebacker, and we had been relying heavily on our redshirt freshman interior D linemen, and they were just getting bullied in there by Utah's line, and it was just a bad deal all around. And we came out in the second half and switched that up where we relied more on Savelle Smalls in that outside linebacker position. And he played pretty admirably for a true freshman and bumped Josiah Bronson back to his natural position at defensive tackle. And that's when you really started to see us hold up against the run a bit more. You increase the speed on the defense, putting Savelle in there to help contain Bentley and his legs that hurt us badly in the first half. So I think that was like the one adjustment that really stood out to me as making a significant impact after halftime. So I was happy to see, you know, it's just the genius of someone like Pete Kwiatkowski too. Like he's just dialed in. He's the king of second half adjustments and just goes to show like we have always gotten better defensively as the game goes on, but even I didn't expect us to come back 21-0, score 24 unanswered points and get the dub, but I was pretty pumped. Yeah, for sure. And I know, Sam, you and I talked earlier in the week, um, probably yesterday, and um, we were texting, and I don't think we we talked nearly enough about how well Dylan Morris played towards the end of that game and especially that final drive. I mean, he gets the ball with, what is it, 4.21 left? Yeah, 4 minutes and 21 seconds left. And he starts at his own 12-yard line. And he's got to engineer a touchdown drive because we're down by four at that point. And um, he just, he he takes control and he leads us on a drive. And Sam and I have talked about it on previous podcasts. He just, he has this kind of just clutch gamer factor about him um, that you can't teach. And he definitely had his struggles throughout this game. I think this was obviously the, I don't think I know obviously that this was his, his most humbling moment in a Husky uniform, albeit just a short three game career at this point, but he had his struggles. I mean, he, his first interception, he kind of makes, he, he evades a guy, he makes a guy miss and then isn't able to fully step into his throw, but it was a bad decision to begin with. He's got to either just throw that ball away or eat it and either take a sack or see what he can get with his feet his second interception obviously is just a Hail Mary throw at the end of the 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 uh, first half and then his third interception he severely underthrows Ty Jones um and I think that's been kind of a common theme with Dylan Morris as if you have any critiques for him early in his career is that he's not able to locate that that deep ball yet and I think it'll come but I think we have to be a little bit patient. He's still finding it. Um, but to go back to to this touchdown drive, I mean, he converts one to two third downs on that play, 
One of them was a third and 10. And that was that pass to Puka for 14 yards. That was a huge, I mean, that, that was probably a better catch than it was a throw. Um, but still nails this guy, Puka catches it, um, gets nailed and they convert the first down there. And they followed up with another, uh, another pass to Puka that was a little bit off target, but good enough for Puka to catch again, a really nice catch by Puka. Um, and then he, he just kind of picks away at, at the defense from, from the Utah 44 from here. And he has one incomplete pass and then goes to Otten uh, twice in a row. And then they have a short run. And then he goes to that, that uh, pass out of the backfield for Kamari Pleasant, where he spins out of a dude and picks up a first down. And then right after that is the touchdown, the 16 yard touchdown to Otten. And just how composed he was in that situation, I think, cannot be understated. I mean, you get the ball like this is this is Russell Wilson shit. Like you get the ball at your own 12 yard line with 421 to go. And he just engineers that drive like he's so confident in every play that he's making and every throw that he's making. And I just can't say enough good stuff about Dylan Morris um, when it comes to just being a gamer and a winner when the game is on the line. Um, if you guys have anything else to say about that, I, I just thought that we should definitely shout out that last drive by Dylan Morris. Yeah, I think the thing that's been really impressive with him all along is his ability to step up in the pocket. I mean, his we've seen this in spades with Jacob Eason and Jake Browning over the last five years, they've had this terrible habit of trying to do this Tony Romo, Russell Wilson, backward spin, turning their back to the defense, ending up 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage or further. And Dylan Morris, I, I think it's really, I mean, it's definitely trained, but I think there's a natural instinct that takes over when the bullets are flying live mm. and his instinct is to step up and slide out. And both to that completion you were referencing with Puka Nakua, where he laid out and made the nice grab on a throw that was a little bit off target. Dylan Morris steps up, slides to his left outside of yep. the pocket, hits him on the run. That was an identical pocket movement to his touchdown pass to end the game, basically, to yep. Kate Otten. Rolling out to his left. He's and really so, good rolling out to his left. Like, that's a tough throw. That's a really tough throw. And I just think that's so impressive, particularly for someone so young in their college career, to have mm -hmm. that confidence. And maybe it's because he hasn't been smacked in the mouth yet or something hopefully that doesn't happen our offensive line has it's done a very really good job yeah. keeping him up but he has a lot of confidence stepping up finding space within he's the taken pocket. his fair share of hits though he like, has even though he hasn't been sacked he's been sticking in there and getting hit while he's been delivering the ball so yeah he definitely has and so i think that's been so impressive and with him repeatedly stepping up in the line of fire like that and finding just enough room within the pocket while keeping his eyes down the field has not only in this game, but in the first two games as well, been just a total highlight for me and something that's really promising for his future in a Husky uniform for sure. 
I just really love Dylan Morris's uh, attitude when he comes out there. He was fired up mm-hmm. on the last drive. I love how the yapping and the excitedness that he had. So it was just really ice in his veins, Sam. He's backing it up though with the, the hey. yap in there. Yeah, right? walks the walk, baby. <laughs> That's just a good. little jab there, Justin. I got gotcha. you. You guys went back and forth. I love it. Looking fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I think. You know, that's pretty much. I think we did a pretty in-depth review of the game, and yeah, for sure, feels like Justin's pretty aligned with our takeaways there. But I'm curious to get just general thoughts about our matchup against Stanford this Saturday, 1 p.m. Again, another primetime East Coast game. It's mm-hmm. going to be on Fox, so it's another opportunity for us to make a statement victory here. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, we've talked about it before, Sam, and a lot of similarities with Utah as far as just that Stanford is just well coached. David Shaw is the class of the Pac-12 North when it comes to coaching and class of the Pac-12 in general. Kyle Whittingham obviously has been at Utah longer than David Shaw has been at Stanford, but um He's been at Stanford basically since they become, became the Pac-12. Right. Um, so obviously a, a tenured coach and a really good coach. This is a Stanford team, though, I feel like that isn't um, super reflective of what we've come to expect from Stanford. And the first thing that pops out to me is they don't really their, – their leading receiver isn't coming from the tight end position. Or like their their leading pass catchers in general aren't from that tight end position. We've come to uh, expect from Stanford, you know, big, athletic bodies, six seven, six eight, pass catchers at tight end that have kind of been the heavy part of their offense, and they they rely a lot upon obviously their run game in the past and still do, and play action, but hitting those hitting those tight ends over the middle and they've given us problems in the past. Um, They don't really have that as much this year though. A lot of their, a lot of their receiving talent is at, is at the wide receiver position. And one of those guys that I'm looking at is we talked about him a little bit on the previous podcast, Sam though is uh, Connor Weddington. And he's a little bit of a gadget player. He, he plays wide receiver, but they find ways to get him the ball in space on some, on some runs as well. Um, and he's just, he's, he's a playmaker. He's a guy that obviously the Huskies had kind of in their back pocket until, um, late in his recruiting cycle. And he got that offer from Stanford and, um, and qualified out academically for Stanford. So you can't really fault him for that. He decided to choose the Cardinal over the Huskies. Um, but someone that, um, is, is, is a playmaker, like I said, and I would expect that the ball is going to be going to him pretty regularly in this game. So we need to be aware of him, um, from a defensive perspective. And then also, I mean, obviously the, the guy delivering the ball to him, Davis Mills, he's a, he's an experienced quarterback in the pac 12. I think we talked about that a little bit in the last episode as well. Not that he like put up super gaudy numbers last last year in 2019 but he definitely i mean he's i think i believe he started that game that we lost against them last year at stanford 
So he's obviously had he's at, he's he's had success against the Huskies before. So we need to make sure that we keep him contained and that the defense lives up to his hype so far this year. Um, I think those are kind of the two main takeaways, at least from an offensive perspective that I take from them. Defensively, I don't really know what to expect from them. There's kind of a lot of turnover on the on their defense this year. And as well coached as they are, they're always going to be kind of a solid defense and they'll probably pose some problems from for us, but they've given up a lot of points so far this year as well. So I think this could be a chance for us to possibly break out a little bit offensively um, from, from a scoring perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think defensively they're in rebuild mode. Their stud corner, Paulson Adebo, he opted out to clear for the draft. So they've got some young, unproven players in their secondary. And then one of the things I watched the Stanford Cal game pretty in depth. One of the things that I think will be a vulnerability that we'll try to expose is their linebackers play really, really aggressive downhill football. Mm-hmm. Number two, what's his name? I forget off the top of my head. Curtis Robinson is the captain of their defense. He's a really talented player, but he runs himself out of the play so much. And where you saw Cal break off some really long runs was basically Curtis Robinson overrunning the linebacker next to him, getting out of position, and the Cal running backs having a cutback lane. And so I expect whether it's a Sean McGrew or maybe a Cam Davis if he gets more touches on some sort of cutback running play. I think we can pick up some chunk yards on the ground if we hit the holes right and read the flow of those linebackers correctly because time and time again, they were running themselves out of position. So that's something that I'm looking for offensively for us to try to expose based on what I saw against Cal. But I, in general, I agree this isn't the standard Stanford team that we're used to seeing similarly offensively they're known for having just powerhouse offensive linemen which Mm -hmm. I think both of their tackles play fairly well Foster Sorrell is another local kid that spurned the Huskies to go to Stanford he's their right tackle he's been playing relatively well but their interior offensive linemen their center and both of their guards have not played well and they got exposed against Cal. So I was talking off mic with both of you earlier. I think this will be the first week that you see a fat boy sack from the, from the Huskies. I think. Who do you think that's from? I'm going to go with Thule. I think Thule is going to get some more snaps. He's getting back into game shape. I think he, that was really good to see him in the Utah game, man. That was a, that was not an unexpected surprise. Yeah, and so I think as he gets back into game shape, his snap count will go up. And I think if we can run our best three interior defensive linemen most of the game being Thule, Taimani, and Bronson, I think there's some opportunities to be had against their center and guards. So I'm looking for that from the Huskies defensively, get some push up the middle, both in the pass and run game. And then offensively, I want to see us take advantage of those over-aggressive linebackers. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in the game. And I do anticipate that I think Utah's a more formidable opponent than what we'll be facing this weekend in Stanford. So I'm hoping that we'll have 
a little bit less heartburn throughout the game this week. But again, David <laughs> Shaw is a good coach. Not find us in a 21-0 hold. Exactly. Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of similar thoughts to you guys, um, especially with the Stanford key players. I think Davis Mills, again, is a key player for them. The two games that he's played have been both competitive against Colorado and Cal. Mm -hmm. And so I think he can keep them in the game. Uh, on the Husky side of the ball, I think – the pass rush is huge for us and keeping him, keeping him contained. Can we get some fat boy sacks? Does ZTFs just continue to dominate like he has in the first three weeks, which has been awesome to see. Uh, and then just Dylan Morris, can he stretch the ball? I think Connor, you already alluded to this or maybe Sam, but Stanford likes to stack the box. And so can we relieve that pressure by Morris hitting those deep balls? Because the looks have yep. been there, uh, but he's overthrown and then, you know, this week he underthrew a couple of receivers. And so can he get that right? We'll see. He's mm -hmm. learning and he's young. So I think he eventually will. But uh, and then on the Stanford side, I forgot to mention, I mean, one of the greatest names in college football, Jet Toner. You have to watch out for the kicking game. <laughs> and so something Stanford does well. So watch out good for kicker. Jet Toner as well. Yeah, good kicker. Yeah, that's a good point, Justin. Um, not just with Jeff Toner, but stretching the field. Um, I I do think that we saw it both against Utah and Oregon State, not as much against Arizona, but defenses stacking the box and, you know, testing Dylan Morris to see if he can rely upon his arm to lead the Huskies downfield. And we've seen him do it, but not really from a downfield perspective. And at some point we are going to need him to hit those deep balls to relieve that pressure on the running game and just the middle of the field in general, if they're going to stack the box with seven or eight guys, like you just have to take advantage of those matches matchups mm -hmm. on the outside. And I mean, not, not only that, but that teams are susceptible to if they're stacking the box is play action. And this is a, recipe for success here for I, I i see us trying to take advantage of that early in this game like i th i would like to see two or three play action deep shots like in the first two drives of this game and try to take the lid off the top of this defense and maybe connect on one of those and even if you don't you're at least just giving that look to stanford to just loosen things up for the run game because obviously that's going to be the mainstay of our offense i think everyone knows that at this point we have a absolute stable of a backfield with four guys back there um but there's no way that we can just continuously pound the ball up the middle no matter how dominant we are from an offensive line standpoint and how much bigger we are we're not that much bigger than stanford is like stanford always has some decent sized bodies so especially if they are going to stack the box we do need to stretch the field in some element or another um in some kind of way and i think i think a lot of that could come off of play action though i think they've had some success with play action this year so far and i'd like to see that continue yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think if I had to boil it down to one key to victory for the Huskies is it's running the damn ball. And we got to get our running game back on track. We struggled mightily against Utah. And, you know, watching it live, I felt like 
pretty discouraged with our offensive line. I didn't feel like there was a lot there for the running backs to gain, but on a deeper look the second time, I really noticed that it couldn't have been further from the truth. I felt like the offensive line created plenty of opportunities for our running backs. And the problem wasn't so much them blocking the play well. And it, I noticed on a handful of plays between Kamari Pleasant and Sean McGrew, where they didn't trust the blocking scheme. They didn't follow their lead blocker. They tried to mm -hmm. bounce it, cut it back. And it ended up being a recipe for disaster. So I want to see a little bit more disciplined running from our running backs and really following the plays the way that they're designed. And the other thing to note there as well is we didn't see any of Richard Newton. And I know in our post-game reaction, we were kind of, you know, pondering, is that injury related? Is it COVID related? Well, rumors I'm hearing is that it was an internal team disciplinary action that he was more or less held out of the game. One of the things that is going around the rumor mill is the coaching staff didn't take too kindly him directly tweeting BYU football and kind of egging them on in that whole BYU come play us any anytime, any team, any place fiasco. I don't see the problem. Whether or not that's the truth, it does. The, the general vibe that I'm getting is that he'll be available for us this weekend. And so I think that could be a key difference getting him in the game. I feel like he has a better feel for reading the holes and hitting him hard, following his block. So I think we'll have success on the ground. Again, I mentioned their linebackers over pursue quite a bit. So I think there'll be some cutback lanes. I do anticipate that we'll have more chunk yards on the ground in this game than we have seen in the previous three. So I'm looking forward to that. I think time of possession is really important. So running the ball and controlling the game that way is going to be our recipe for success here. And just jumping us right into the prediction part of this episode. I think that we're going to be able to do that. I think defensively, we're going to be able to hold Davis Mills, these two running backs that they have, Austin Jones, Nathaniel Pete, they're, I think middle tier running backs right now in the pac 12, I think we'll be able to stifle them and, the only thing defensively that I would look for us to really be tested is our defensive backfield. Stanford has some really big bodied wide receivers, whether it's Michael Wilson mm -hmm. or uh, what is it? Steamy Fahoko is like yeah. six, four, six, five. So, you know, they don't have the big tight end that you were talking about earlier, Connor, but they do have some big bodied receivers. So that'll be a little bit of a test for some of our corners, whether it's a McDuffie or a Molden, I think Keith Taylor matches up pretty well size wise. Sure. So long story short, I think we'll be able to handle them on the defensive side of the ball fairly well. And so I think it comes down to running the ball and I think we'll do that well and end up with a fairly comfortable 31 to 17 victory. Yeah, you talked about cutback lanes, and what screams cutback lanes to me is Cam Davis. I would love it. I would love it. I've been waiting for him to get his fair share, so keep my fingers crossed that he gets more than two carries this week. Yeah, I think he gets a touchdown this week, and um, I'm predicting the Huskies to also win in a little bit closer fashion, 28-20. to 20. I think it's a pretty comfortable victory also. But I think uh, Stanford 
keeps it somewhat close. I think it's going to be kind of almost like a little bit of like the Seahawks game against the Eagles, just as far as how, how the game plays out. Like, I think it feels comfortable just because the defense is playing solid. They probably get like a garbage time touchdown towards the end to make it a little bit closer than it seems. Um, but I think, I think we, for the most part, dominate this game. Um, I think, I think the guys took a little bit of humble pie in the first half of, of last week. And I don't see them coming out that flat against Stanford. I think they'll, they'll definitely come out more fired up with some more energy. So I'm hoping that we get off to a better start in this game and that we kind of get a, get a one score 10 point lead or something that like that, that we just kind of build upon throughout the game. Um, but I do, I do think that it's, it's somewhat close, but not close enough that I'm going to be chugging a fifth of scotch for the second half. What That's a recipe you? for victory. Come on, do it for the team. It was not a recipe for me feeling well the next day though. So, I mean, the Huskies won. That's a good feeling by itself, Connor. Uh, Yes, I, yeah, I agree. Exactly. I, I think, I think physical feelings and emotional feelings are different. Mental health is important. And so is UW winning. And I think that UW. <laughs> <laughs> I love that transition. <laughs> we got a think, podcast expert over here, folks. And, and UW is for, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here, but for a lot of the reasons you both mentioned is going to win semi comfortably. I think Stanford is too disciplined and decent enough to keep not make this a blowout yeah but i think uw has the talent to you know outclass them i would say Mm -hmm. in a 27 to 17 victory on saturday afternoon i'd love that yeah i think a double digit victory against stanford would definitely be a success no matter how that's done so good stuff cool guys um unless you guys had anything else to say i think we're probably going to wrap here soon uh it's been a long episode i know and we're up late here but justin i do want to give you a chance to shout out your your podcast over the top epl so why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a summary kind of of what your podcast is all about and where they can find that podcast cool well before the game of american football with a pigskin and not a round ball there was this uh, concept of kicking a ball with your foot and it was called football don't this try to know. like in like insult yeah, american listen, football I'm on this fucking. podcast <laughs> listen son you don't come on to my podcast and talk shit about my favorite sport all right oh man oh, our I listeners probably guys. just pl- press stop after that okay, yeah, try yeah, again like, don't and bring this guy on three two one and go again oh that's amazing um no, I'm not going to quite repeat that, but essentially what we do over at Over the Top is we cover English Premier League, mm-hmm. and so that is all about uh, the highest level of competition of competitive soccer in the world. So we have the Sounders, which is the MLS, which is just the U.S. League. We just cover the one over in England. So we release episodes every week covering the biggest teams, going down the latest games and giving our predictions on that. And then the English teams involved in the champions league as well. So if you're interested about learning about foreign soccer and covering the best players in the world, check out over the top dash EPL on Spotify, Apple podcasts, all the same platforms you can get Emerald city fandom. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out Justin's podcast, 
podcast folks. It's I've listened to it myself. They're complete professionals over there, probably way more fine-tuned than Sam and I are in our early years nah, here as a podcast. No, we're all amateurs. <laughs> we do this for our, for our own fun, though. So um, with that said, though, guys, obviously subscribe and follow to Emerald City Fandom as well. We're on all platforms, like Justin just said um so spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, wherever you get your guys's podcasts chances are you will find us there and i mean a really good a really good week for seattle sports guys we got a we got a husky victory on saturday we got a seahawks victory on monday night and then we just got a sounders victory this like tonight just like an hour or two ago so um really riding a high right now with seattle sports right now and this scotch is hitting me in all the right places so go sounders go hawks go dogs and until next time go dogs <laughs>